If you have a connection to languages, this is the podcast for you. Whether you're a language learner, a language teacher, a language researcher, or anybody who's interested in languages. I'm Dr. Caitlin Zavaleta, and alongside Dr. Marie-Josée Bisson, we are the Language Scientists, and this is our podcast. We're senior lecturers in psychology at Montfort University, and we conduct research into the area of language learning. Throughout this series, we hope to translate the science behind language learning into informative and useful practical advice. So whether you're a language learner, teacher, researcher, or enthusiast, sit back and enjoy. And today on our podcast, we have Dr. Elizabeth Enkin. So welcome, Liz. Hi, thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. So Liz is a, let me get this right, an associate professor of Spanish Applied Linguistics, uh, which tells you a little bit about her varied background. Uh, Liz has her undergraduate degree in Spanish with an education minor. Her first master's is Spanish and Applied Linguistics. The second one is in Second Language Acquisition and Teaching. And the PhD is also in Second Language Acquisition and Teaching. And Liz focuses on processes and pedagogy. So Liz and I know each other from our grad school days at the University of Arizona. Yes. And we were both working in uh, Dr. Janet Nichols' lab, the psycholinguistics lab at U of A. Yes. So we have Janet to thank for today's podcast. Yes. Um, (laughs) Yes. Me and Caitlin do go back. We were lab mates and we did a really cool eye tracking study together. And, you know, we managed the undergraduate TA. So we we had a lot of fun in that lab and being colleagues. And yeah, it was just a really wonderful experience, too, because we were so young and still getting used to doing research and just having that experience together in, in the lab and having that camaraderie was was just amazing. So it's so great to be on your podcast now. (laughs) Yay. No, it was really great. So like Liz, to tell everybody here, Liz was the kind of like the guru of knowing the tech. I feel like Liz does a great job about getting herself into (laughs) the complicated research tech. And I say this with admiration and like figuring it out to find a really interesting way of addressing the research question at hand. Now, Liz is another really Great example of yet another person who is bilingual in their, I want to say real life, their personal life, (laughs) and then takes it into the professional field. Liz, can you tell us a little bit about your language background? Oh, 100%. Thank you for asking. I love talking about this. <laughs> um, so so I uh, grew up speaking Russian. Um, so I, I call myself a heritage speaker because, you know, I would say native, but definitely heritage speaker, you know, like home language. Um, and I, I spoke Russian before I spoke English. Um, I spoke Russian only. Um, and up until I believe like kindergarten, I remember because in preschool, I, I didn't really understand much. I kind of remember like a teacher giving me like a graham cracker and me being like, I don't know how to say this in English. But uh, so I do remember not uh, knowing how to speak in English. But then um, in kindergarten, I just kind of picked it up. Um, and ever since then, you know, I've kind of called myself a heritage speaker of Russian because I've I think that's the best way to describe it. Um, I can't read or write, so I'm very heritage. Um, but yeah, so I learned, in- well, I guess I acquired English um, in like kindergarten. And then, yeah, and then I started learning Spanish um, 
it was required for us to take um, a, a language course. I believe it started in seventh grade. And so I chose Spanish because um, where I grew up, there is a huge Spanish speaking population. And um, I was just really interested in, in uh, learning a language. And as soon as I started learning Spanish, I was like, oh, wow, this is really cool. Because, you know, I was one of the only people in my class that actually spoke another language at home. And so I kind of felt like, I don't know how to say this, but almost on a level playing field with everybody because we were all like learning a language together. And I kind of felt at home like that. And, and I, you know, and some of the words were very similar to like Russian, you know, and so I kind of felt, um, I don't know, some kind of connection there. And I really like fell in love with the language itself. And I hate to say this, but like verb conjugations, verb conjugations were really fun for me. I don't know why. It was very <laughs> logical. There was something about it. I can't explain it, but it made sense. I love that your your point is that you enjoyed learning Spanish because it felt like you were on an even playing field. Just yes. like, yes, I've been through this learning thing and now we yes. can do it all together as a group and this is yes. familiar to me. It felt like belonging somewhere, you know what I mean? Because, you know, maybe, I don't know, you know, like school is very difficult for everyone and it's difficult to fit in in general. And so it just made me feel so much better in that moment. So I'm really appreciative to that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great point. So- Okay, you are a multilingual, we can say trilingual, truly, <laughs> um, because you you still teach in Spanish. Yes, yes, I yeah. teach. Um, yes, I've been teaching in Spanish. So I never like taught Russian. I never did anything with Russian, like academic. Mm -hmm. It was always Spanish. Um, so I started... In undergraduate, actually, I started being a TA in my last two years, which is a really, I mean, you know, I was like one of you know, X amount of majors I was selected to be a uh, teaching assistant and a true one, you know, I would really help out. But I was allowed to teach some classes on my own. And I really started like learning how to teach a language. And so yeah, I started teaching languages like very early. And then um, I, when I entered graduate school, I taught like beginner and uh, intermediate Spanish up until I got this job, which is, you know, like a tenure track job. And then I started teaching advanced level Spanish. So right now I, I taught a writing course and then uh, currently I teach an introduction to linguistics course uh, in cool. Spanish, which is, yeah, so it's really cool because, you know, I'm teaching linguistics, but I'm also teaching in Spanish and Spanish. So it's a very cool experience. I love that class. Um, and then at the graduate level, I actually teach all of our graduate students. So we have programs in German, French, and Spanish. And I've taught the language teaching methods course for 10 years. Um, and I also teach a curriculum design and language program direction course, which um, I've also published about that course in foreign language annals. Um, I think it's a really great professional development class for students. So, so yeah, I'm kind of kind of doing that. <laughs> I think it's really interesting to use your learn language that you've learned in your workplace. So, I mean, yes. like to get to that level of proficiency, you know what I mean? And to get yes, to use well, it like that. <laughs> yes. I always like, you know, I think we always feel like imposters. I feel like you never <laughs> like, oh, you know. You're trying so to always... attain that native like fluency. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, and there's of course that debate of like, you know, is that even A, is that attainable? And B, do you do you even want that to be the goal? So, so, but I guess, you know, uh, yes, I guess, I guess I have a high proficiency, but I don't, you know, maybe think I do all the time. <laughs> but thank Language you. Language imposter syndrome, it's, it's fine. It's, it's a fine. thing. We all go through it. Yeah. 
<laughs> so, okay, you have this experience with language learning and language teaching. What about language research? I mean, you how did you get into choosing to do the research side of things? That's a really great question. I had to actually like think myself when when, you know, when we were talking about this before. I'm like, how did I get into this? And I think <laughs> for me, I think like what happened was was I went in as a Spanish undergraduate major, you know, and I was like, okay, I I really want to teach because that's how I wanted to apply my my language degree. And so uh, we had to take this, like, I think, I guess it's a crossover class. And this is like way back in the day, but we had to take this like crossover language teaching methods course, essentially at the undergraduate level to know how to teach. But in, in that course, we learned about like Vygotskyan theory, uh, you know, input hypothesis, like all of the like applied linguistics part of linguistics really. And like specifically like language teaching, um, the language teaching component. And I got really fascinated with that. Um, I just thought it was like the coolest thing that we were born with a language acquisition device. And I was like, wow, like this is, you know, like, because I also had like a background, a little bit of a background in like psychology. Like I took AP psych in high school. And then obviously I had to take a bunch of uh, psychology courses for my education minor. And so it was kind of like the marriage of the two, like like this, like psychology behind language learning and teaching, and then like the Spanish uh, part of it, you know what I mean? Like the content, um, the language itself. And so that just really interested me. And so when I graduated, you know, I had a choice. I was either going to be a high school teacher because that's what I trained as and do my practicum and go on with that. Or I would go to grad school. So I really like grad school just had my heart, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> you know, Good, I'm so, glad. <laughs> yes, it just had my heart. I was so interested in learning more about the processes behind um, language learning and teaching and also like the pedagogical like, steps, you know what I mean? Like how to actually teach languages and also how to develop curricula. Like the whole education aspect really pushed me, I think, into the research realm. To get more at the heart of it. So Liz's research, like I said earlier, is very techy. But your other research is uh, now in virtual reality, which whenever someone says like virtual reality, first of all, we all think like, oh, yes. that's interesting. And like I was saying earlier, I mentioned this on Twitter and immediately got followers. So like, <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit about it. So basically back in 2017, our department hired a lab manager who had a background in IT, web app development, just kind of like an all around like hardware, software, you know, skills wise had had all of that. And so what I did is I was really interested in working with them because um, as an applied linguist and as someone that had done like research on technology before, I was like, wow, this is like a really great way, like, you know, to to this is a great collaboration, you know. What we were also at that same time facing was the fact that, you know, how do you use a language lab? <laughs> because there's a computer in every classroom, everyone has a mobile device. And so what we were thinking of doing is actually expanding the opportunities that the lab could provide. And that's how we kind of like, we're like, hey, what about like virtual reality? Because in 2017, it was really, really new to like the masses, you know what I mean? To everyone, it was really, really new to me. Um, the concept of stepping into another world is, you know, totally trippy. <laughs> and so basically at the same time that that was happening, there was also, we kind of understood or that came to our awareness, this idea of web three. So I'm sure your listeners have, and you know about <laughs> web two, right? Like everyone is on web two, the collaborative web, um, you know, you, uh, it's social media. This, this is all like the collaboration um, type of 
of web. But web three, part of it is actually like thinking of the web as more like a spatial web. And so actually like imagine going into a website and being able to like look around. So kind of like Wreck-It Ralph. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the, like the Roblox. second movie, yeah. Or like Second Life. Like that was mm-hmm. like the first reiteration. Yeah, exactly. And so this was kind of coming back almost, you know, in this other form because it was like, it's like web-based too, technology, and it's all uh, like spatial. And so that was kind of coming more into our awareness. And we wanted to develop projects around the actual communication modes as well. Um, and that was kind of like the proof of concept that we wanted to make uh, or to like explore w- with respect to immersive VR. We thought that that was like a really good starting point. And so like developing like interpretive mode, the interpersonal mode and presentational mode. So receptive skills, productive skills, and then two-way interpersonal communication. And so this ultimately led us to a series of grants and projects, which is really exciting. And that's, um, I'll talk about these kind of three main projects that um, we did and we um, spent a lot of time doing between like 2017 and 2022 actually just uh, published uh, on the one of the last of these uh, projects this year. So basically the first project we did was convert the maze task to a VR app, an immersive VR web-based app. And so Caitlin knows all there is to know, <laughs> I think, about the maze task. Um, so like since we were in graduate school, I've been kind of working on this like maze task. And so what it is, it's a psycholinguistic experimental technique that forces a rapid and incremental processing mode. So when you're reading a sentence, you know, you at each step of the sentence, you uh, see two words in front of you. And one of those words is correct. And it continues the sentence on and the other one is incorrect. And so that's how it forces this like very step-by-step processing mode. And so what it's generally used for, and Caitlin can kind of correct me if I'm wrong, because <laughs> she does more psycholinguistic experiments per se, but so it's used to localize like processing difficulties, right, in a sentence and and um, yeah, where, where processing difficulty might lie. But what I did in graduate school and as my dissertation um, research was actually use the, the MACE task for training. So helping uh, Spanish beginner students process more difficult constructions. And what I found is after a period of training, they were actually faster um, to complete those types of sentences. And so what I did after that is I took the maze task and made it the story maze task. (laughs) So I contextualized sentences um, in stories. Uh, I had four sentences, I believe, to a story, pictures at the start of each um, sentence. And so, and I replicated the training effect. But uh, what I did then after that in uh, 2017, um, and this was basically like the first lab project, is actually create a mobile app. So it's available on Android and um, iOS, and it's called the Spanish Language Maze. So your listeners can... uh, definitely check that out. It's a very cool little app. You know, it's it's very, it's pretty basic. But what, what's really cool about that app is that we took that app then and kind of made, like based the Word Maze VR app on that. So the Word Maze VR is what we got a, a grant for. And it's an, an immersive VR uh, web-based app where words are floating in front of you and you get to grab them and it's a totally immersive experience. So we're actually working on uh, getting it up on a remote server to make it more accessible to everyone. But that was kind of our first like, like, you know, entrance into working with VR and actually like developing an app. And it was really cool because, you know, it kind of like continued my research on um, from from my dissertation days. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of cool because I mean, like that as researchers is kind of what happens, right? We start to get into one path and we're like, oh, that's a really interesting thing. Let's just kind of keep going and see what else we can find out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like how you morph something over time and, you know, keep improving it. And exactly. I I think that's like phenomenal that we are 
uh, able to do that as researchers too. I think, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, huge opportunity for us as not only scholars, but people to be able to kind of follow one thing through. Um, so after, after that, um, the developing part of our project thing, um, we kind of wanted to see, okay, so how do you integrate uh, VR into a curriculum? Because that's like a really kind of a tall, you know, a a big task for people and it's a big task to wrap your head around because there's just so many components to it especially it being so new back when we were starting um, these these projects and so the second project that we did was actually based on uh, what we call social VR and so what we did is worked with a uh, advanced level Spanish speaking proficiency course it was a really interesting course um, because it, it was all based on like conversation and being uh, you know helping your proficiency and uh helping elevate proficiency and it was a 400 level course I believe and so what I did is I uh, with the instructor created three sets of dialogues that uh, were done in face-to-face -face and in VR so students would come into the lab and they there was like three sets and so you would work with different partners for each set each set was based around content from the course um and so like a reading or something like that and uh you were either in the face-to-face -face first group or the vr first group so that's how i counterbalanced order so that it wouldn't be a confounding um, variable and so uh, students would come in and they would uh, do their dialogue inside of vr they would be able to manipulate objects and things like that and you know dress up their avatars and you know really be able to like experience like immersive VR while they're speaking. And then the, of course they would do face-to-face -face dialogues as well. And so what we found is actually uh, ran a within subjects um, test. And so statistically students said that they had more fun when they were in VR versus face-to-face, but then they also experienced lower self uh, feelings of self-consciousness when they were in VR. So that was a really interesting two effects, I thought. And then they, uh, the open-ended responses were really illuminating as well. You know, they, they backed up the fact that they, you know, were in an avatar form. So they just felt like the words could flow out of them and they just felt so much more comfortable speaking. They also really liked being zapped out of like reality, which I thought was really interesting. And I'm like, well, of course, you know, you know, it's much better. <laughs> it's like virtual reality is much better than real world. So and they liked manipulating objects. And the other component to this too is that in uh, some of their responses, they were talking about like the concept of virtual embodiment. So truly being like virtually embodied in either a form that was different from theirs and that they could relate to or wanted to be, or it was like a reflection of, of themselves. But either way, they, they were kind of like uh, tapping onto that idea of virtual embodiment. And so, um, and then new research just came out, I believe, uh, is in the Calico Journal and where they looked at cortisol levels in VR and actually saw that like the like cortisol levels were lower and self-reports of, of anxiety as well, but uh, actual like cortisol data, which was really fascinating. And then I believe that all correlated to uh, increased oral comprehensibility. I'd have to look back, but I believe that that was, um, that was the finding. So this is a really interesting uh, result. And so after that study and the <laughs> final one that I'll talk about, um, it was 
what we call um, the makerspace study. <laughs> so basically what we did is we really wanted to see how we could really integrate even further uh, VR into a course because um, some of the comments that we received on that second study was that, you know, this was so amazing, but they wanted to use the environments even more. You know what I mean? Really integrated into their dialogues even more. And so we did just that. We really wanted to integrate uh, VR into an actual class. And so we uh, took a Russian cultural studies course, which was uh, an advanced level Russian course, and it focused on art. So it was a really great like area, like a class to draw from because there's so many cool things that you could do. Um, and so we developed a three-part final project in the lab. And so it basically consisted of students. The first part, students came in and they actually entered into a museum in VR, an immersive VR. And they had looked at this museum before. It was the Hermitage Museum. There's a, you can en enter it through your like computer, like on the, through your computer, like through the web. <laughs> through the computer. Uh, through the computer, like through the web. And so they prepared um, a short presentation on uh, a sculpture and or a painting. And so they prepared, they came in, and they went into this 3D image, basically, and des described what they saw and described how uh, their sculpture or uh, art piece, like, you know what I mean, what it meant to them and how it connected to art movements that were they were discussing in class. And then after that, because it was a makerspace study, we designed our own materials as well. And so we had a graduate student the summer before go and collect uh, video footage for us um, with a 3D camera. And so like a 360 oh, cool. 3D camera. Yeah. And so what we did is... Uh, our lovely tech guy, <laughs> the lab manager, he uh, like extracted a stilt frame from it. And so what we did is we actually had students go into that room immediately after their like prepared speech part and spontaneously speak about what they saw Ooh, around them. Yeah. That's and so that very was different, isn't it? very different and they really enjoyed that ex that they 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 commented on that in their open-ended responses that you know they could just kind of wing it and they really liked doing that and they also said that you know it was almost because the the headset was on their face that they could just kind of like you know talk and so that's that's going back to that second study in social vr where you have uh like a headset on your face and you just like let the words flow out so that's a kind of like a really interesting effect that happens um and so that was the first part of the final project and then the second part was an ipad activity where students came in the lab and they drew a painting we called it a painting um <laughs> they drew a painting um uh and related it to an artistic movement so they like talked about you know how it related what it meant to them. And then the third part was a VR sculpting activity. So this was very cool. It was like, you know, the culminating activity. And so they would come into, or they came into the lab and they uh, entered in VR into, uh, we use the Adobe Medium app and they actually sculpted it like a sculpture in VR and then talked about it. And so that was, they loved that activity because like after that, we also 3D printed their sculptures so they could come back to the lab and get them and it was uh, a really cool experience for them. And so what we did on the uh, like kind of assessment side is uh, compare their iPad activity with their sculpting activity because they were both hands-on activities. And so uh, what we found was uh, really increased motivation and creativity. That was the two like main things that came out um, in, in the data. Um, and of course, they, they really liked like, they enjoyed the museum experience too because they, you know, one person commented like, you can't go to 
a Russian museum here, you know, but it really felt like they were there. And so that's the whole point of immersive VR is that you feel like you're really there. Um, and then they also reiterated that they felt like they could improvise with their speech. Like a lot of them said, like, you know, the headset on, on their face, like made it easier. And they also liked using the space, like actually using the actual like physical slash virtual space um, like for sculpting because they could like zoom and like look at it from all different angles and it's like immersive so it's almost like you're you're right there and so I think like one of the students said yeah sure you could give us clay and say have at it but this was <laughs> like a much cooler experience so um, and it just brings like the language not only the language learning but just every, like the, the cultural part in because you know you're creating like a cultural artifact essentially and so um, that was a really, uh, really wonderful experience. Really great. Yeah, I absolutely love this research. Like the thing about learning a new language, in my opinion, is that typically we take this path of we learn if you're like a, a French major or a French minor or something like that, something where you you have a considerable amount of investment, I guess, in the language, you know, at a certain point you're going to go and study abroad. Yes, but you have to build up that, or at least you don't have to, but you typically build up your fluency and then you go study abroad and yes. then your fluency just like skyrockets from there. I know with me when I did that, yeah, it's just, it's crazy because you're immersed in that environment. But even then, when you're immersed in that environment, it is stressful. Yes. Maybe it's because I'm an introvert, but like <laughs> being comfortable speaking in your non-native language it is a big hurdle to overcome, in my opinion. Oh, yes. And, and uh, the research backs it up, right? I mean, oh, the, the one research study about the cortisol level. So cortisol means stress, right? Higher cortisol, more stress. Correct. Yeah. If you're stressed about just asking the shopkeeper for, mm. you know, bread, yeah. yeah, it's it's a thing to have to overcome. Yeah. And the fact that you can get around this by VR and the fact that you can get around this without having to have the financial means and the time oh, to exactly. go do this, like this is just so cool. Yes. And like, I really, that's exactly it, you know, like, and you're hitting on a really important point that, you know, not everybody always has the funds to have that type of experiential learning opportunity. You know, we talk so much about experiential learning nowadays and VR is just this like really great area to draw from because, you know, it doesn't replace, of course, a study abroad experience, uh, that type of experiential learning, but it definitely supplements your your learning in, in a different way, in a non-traditional way too. Um, and, you know, Know, the students are really excited about it as well. I mean, you know, think about going into like a 3D space, like a metaverse and speaking to some a native speaker. I mean, how what a wonderful experience. And you feel like you're really in the same, like, you know, a shared time and place, so to speak. And so that's just, I think, really powerful. This is very tech oriented research. Yes. Um, is this more research research or is this something that can be applied in the classroom then? It's a wonderful point. It's yeah, it's definitely both. Um, so yeah, I, I generally start from like, well, sometimes I start from the teaching angle and see like a need and then I go from there. Um, but a lot of times I'll go from the research angle and then kind of be like, okay, well, how does it apply to, to teaching? So I think that this is like such a rich area to draw from when it comes to teaching. And it's not just for languages. I think it could be applied to like multiple disciplines. Um, so first I'll start with like some challenges to consider. Um, if, you know, you are looking at doing like strict immersive VR, I do think that there's, you know, so we had like a dedicated like tech guy, you know what I mean, who's there and actually a lot of times like provided ideas 
on because he knew what was possible. Do you know what I mean? Like how yeah. you could, yeah, like what you could do with the technology. And so bringing that to us was really helpful. Um, and so I, I will say that for sure, like, you know, having a dedicated tech person and enough staff um, to help out is is really important because think about it too. Like there's a lot of time in this, like you, you know, students have to come in and, and orient themselves and know how to use the technology. And then each session that you have for each student in a class is like an hour long or so. So, you know, there's a lot of like coordination with that as well. And then curricular integration. So actually finding like a place in your curriculum to integrate this type of like non-traditional instruction, if you will. But with that said, like standalone equipment is becoming like, I, I believe that's like the, what, what is the standard? Um, so uh, like you don't need a high powered PC to like run an Oculus Quest 2, for example. So that's very helpful because it, there's less upkeep. And then and students in general, I think, are getting more VR at their house, like in their homes, and it's becoming a little bit more ubiquitous technology. So I think some of the things will kind of like even themselves out. And, you know, I, I, like there's other things to consider, too, with applying this um, this type of research to your teaching. Like some examples I'll point out like that are um, important to keep in mind. Like there was a study, I believe it was 2018, uh, where they looked at kinesthetic movement plus VR because you can actually move like in the space. So they looked at word action pairs, I believe, and it was for vocabulary. And they found that when you combine kinesthetic movement specifically with VR, it's the most powerful for like in their study for vocabulary learning. And then another study was really interesting. And I think it points to like maybe students that might need a more non-traditional type of um, environment is the study, I was, uh, I believe it was like in this, more in the psycholinguistics realm. Um, and they used, uh, it was also vocabulary learning. I think it was Chinese. Um, and they saw that in a counterbalance design after training in VR, you saw like better accuracy on a word recognition task. But <laughs> however, um, when we when they looked at the effect more closely, the main training effect, they found that it was the less successful learners overall. That's where like the locus of the effect was. So that's really interesting because, you know, that what does that say about students that might need like a little more help or might need a, a different way of, of learning or teaching really, you know? So, so I thought that that was helpful to kind of point out if we're thinking about, you know, what is the purpose of this research for teaching? Um, and then the, the last thing that I'll say too is um, if your listeners are interested, uh, I actually published a uh, chapter with our lab manager. It's called the Smart Language Lab Building and Integrating Emerging Technology into Language Programs. It was published in 2021 in the Language Center Handbook 2021, I believe. And in that, we talk about all these projects, but also we uh, talk about other apps, like other immersive VR apps that might be really interesting for language teachers. Yeah, I think they really will be, actually. So um, I will We'll need a link to that and we'll share that in our show notes so everyone can can uh, take a look at those because I think that would be a really helpful resource. Yes. So as we kind of wrap things up here, is there anything that you would like to kind of provide as like a concluding thought or one last thing that you want to emphasize? Well, yeah, give yourself, you know, room to experiment, like step by step, because working with this technology not only is difficult, but integrating it into a curriculum, I believe, is difficult as well. So take your time. 
but also, you know, have fun. And yeah, I think just the combination, if we think about the TPAC model, for example, the combination of content knowledge, pedagogical knowledge, and technological knowledge working all together, I think is, is really, is really critical. But I think uh, have fun is my takeaway. Thank you very much, Liz, for uh, being here today and for chatting about your research. It's been really interesting. Uh, I have lots of things to Google now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, this has been phenomenal. Thanks for listening. <laughs> In the next podcast, Marie will be interviewing Angelos Langeris about phonological abilities. So this means that he's going to be discussing how to kind of train your ear. So this is one of the things that might feel a little bit trickier for some of us learners. So this should be very interesting to hear. We would really appreciate it if you can just take a minute to fill out our survey. It's time to tell us what you are thinking. So you'll find the link in our show notes as well as our webpage link. Thank you for listening to our discussion on virtual reality. And thank you to the British Academy for funding our podcast. I'm Dr. Caitlin Zavaleta, and you've been listening to the Language Scientist Podcast. Podcast.